Would you join me in Mark? Mark chapter 12, and then, and then once you have that for this, our brief opening Bible study, then hold your finger there and jump, jump over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And what I'd like to do is just start off with a thought that, would you agree with this? Okay, and we're headed to Luke chapter 14 for our opening comments here. Would you agree that the statement that when Jesus was preaching and teaching back in the days of his ministry, that he would have been considered revolutionary? A radical in a lot of what he would say for the, compared to the institution. And so he comes along and he preaches. And some of the things that Jesus would say, they, can, they would be really out of the normal realm of what most of their preachers of those days would say. And some of them were so provocative that even today people might run rampant with what Jesus say, said and take it a little bit to an extreme. Look at Luke 14, for instance. Luke 14, where Jesus is speaking, if you jump down to verse 26, could you see, could you see somebody misinterpreting this passage? Luke 14, verse 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Could you see somebody reading that and going too far with the words of Jesus? Okay, they could end up saying what? How, how could somebody misapply this verse? Proposing hatred. Okay, an actual hatred and disavowing family. Back up into Mark. Okay, we're in Mark chapter 9. Can you see if anybody, or maybe, maybe you, can, you know of situations where this is the case. Um, Mark chapter 9. Jump down to about verse 43. If your hand offend thee, cut it off. Uh, he, and then we jump down a little bit for verse 47. If your eye offend thee, pluck it out. Can you see where somebody might run too far with that phrase? And do what? Maiming themselves, self-mutilation, and going to an extreme. Which would be, you and I would say, that's a misapplication of what he was saying. Go a little bit further. Okay, Jump over to Mark 10. In Mark chapter 10, and now Jesus is going to make a statement that it sounds radical, and it has to do with finances. Why, why you're thinking that? Did Jesus ever talk about finances? Yes, he did. He talked about it an awful lot. So we have these two facts about finances and Jesus. One is, Jesus talked a lot about them. Number two, people don't want to hear what Jesus said about finances. Those are two basic facts. So remember, when he's talking to the rich young ruler... Do you remember what he says in verse 21 of Mark 10? He says, One thing that you lack, go your way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Can you see where somebody might take that simple statement and run rampant and come with a misapplication of saying, if we get to, want to get to heaven, we have to give everything away. Okay, so we come with that in mind and jump down to Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, and let's pick up the story that continues in our study of the gospel, Mark, paragraph by paragraph. We're still on that Tuesday of the week that Jesus dies, okay? And he's that Tuesday, he's speaking in the temple area. And when he's in the temple area, you all remember he's had the different debates, the different challenges from the Herodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's had them all come, and he's, 
He's debated, disputed all of their comments. And all that argument is done. The dust is settling from all the the goings-on and the people listening to him debate theologically, politically with those people. And, And quite frankly, he won every argument. And then he pulls the disciples aside and he goes to another area of the temple. And when he's in this other spot of the temple... It says in verse 41, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites, which makes a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and he said, Truly, verily, amen, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than all they that have cast into the treasury. For all they that did for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all of her living. Can you see where somebody might take that his comments about that widow and go too far with their application? What might somebody say this this story tells us we should do? He wants all of our money. Okay. And from the point of a preacher would that be a nice thing to be saying? Okay. Is that biblically correct? Is that the lesson from this paragraph that Jesus wants us to cast in every iota, every cent, every mite that we have? I struggle with that type of application. It's, and it sounds very zealous and it sounds very commendable and maybe somebody can do it. But are there other passages that would countermand that and say there needs to be a balance. How, how about the passages that say, if a man does not take care of his own household, he is what? He's worse than an infidel. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. What about Romans 13, verse 7? He says that we're supposed to pay the government taxes. Okay, for That same passage for in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything. And doesn't the psalmist say... The wicked borroweth and, do you remember the rest of it? Pays not again. So is there in the Bible, is there the concept that we need monies in order to pay other bills than just put it all in the church plate? Would you say that that's a truism? Okay. And so we look at it and say, well, then if the, if the story isn't teaching us that we should give everything we have on Sunday Every bit of money that you bring with you, and by the way, if we're going to start saying that, then what are you going to do on Sundays? You're going to leave it at home, okay? Okay, okay. So if, if, that's, if we're saying that this account doesn't teach that what we should do is give all of our money to Jesus and to the church or whatever it may be, then what does the account teach? Then what is the story? And I'm going to suggest that this is, this is the lesson. I think the lesson isn't uh, the amount But I think it's the action that goes this way. We should seek to please Christ with our giving. And I think that's supported by this text. We should seek to please Christ with our giving. And I want to just explore the passage and answer this question. How do we do that? How do we do that? If we look at all that's in this text, let's start with this thought. In order to be pleasing to Christ with what we give, how we give, the manner in which we give, all of that together, let's start with this thought. Remember the innate dangers often associated with giving. This text illustrates that there are a couple innate 
dangers when it comes to giving. Do you remember the setting here? It is in the temple area, and it's against by the court of the woman, and they had two different spots in the ancient temple that they did this. They had in the uh, walls of some of the temple proper, they had 13 large horns, the shofar horns, that were large. And they were usually made out of metal, as we understand. Those horns that what the people could do is they could come up and they could start pouring their money in or dropping their money in. But they were a metal, metallic type of a large horn that if you dropped money in, it would make a lot of noise. Okay, And so if you wanted to draw attention to what you were giving, what could you do? Okay, have a whole bunch of coins. And the more coins you have, the louder your giving is going to sound. Okay, and so did, do we know biblically if anybody ever did that? Yes, no? Do you remember Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount? Where he talks in Matthew 6 about how some people did their alms before everybody else. Now, maybe, maybe it makes sense. Just flip back to Matthew 6 and look at verse 1 again. It'll ring true with you. But let me remind you. When people gave alms, the way that many of the Jews gave alms in Bible days was they gave it to the temple. Because the temple, it's like your deacon's fund that some of you give in charitable giving, that a lot of you do. And the way that you, and so that's one way you help out the poor by giving into that because it's going to be monitored and it's going to be given out and, you know, there's going to be, you know, some, some accountability with those funds. And so, what happens is they would give to the temple one-third of the amount of money that they gave at this time was going to go to the poor. It was going to be almsgiving. So in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about this, he says, Take heed that you do not do alms, your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites in the synagogues in the streets. Some suggest that, that they could be making a parade and having their, their somebody hired to blow the horn as they went. Others suggest that what it's talking about is when you went towards the temple, and before you went into the temple proper to worship, you would sound the trumpet by dropping in all your coins in order to make noise so that people would go, ooh, Ah, listen to how much so-and-so is giving. Listen to all that rattling. And the louder and the longer it made noise, what would be the typical response of people? They would, they would be praising. They would be impressed. They would think that person is really, really charitable. And he rebukes that. So here we come back to Mark chapter, nine, uh, chapter 12. And it's on that day. How many people are in the temple proper? Remember the setting. Is this a low day or a high day in attendance? It's going to be a high day because it's the holy week of, of Passover. So you're going to have a lot of people. And the, the one group that in particular wants to be noticed with all these people is probably the Jewish leadership. Okay, And this would be the ideal time for them to all of a sudden make their contributions. What is really interesting in this text is you back up three or four verses and Jesus in this text has made comments about some of the Jewish leaders and how they were motivated financially. We talked about it last week. Do you remember the comments? Right before the paragraph we read, go back to verse 40. He says the chief, those who are the Jewish leaders that he warned them about, the ones he just had the debates with, 
He said they, the scribes loved to be in those long garments that everybody was going to watch and they identified them as scribes, verse 38. Verse 39, they loved the chief seats, both in the synagogue and in the uh, feast. And they devoured the widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. <coughs> He's just declared that these guys, they don't really care about the poor. They take advantage of the poor. And his very next paragraph is about a poor woman who becomes the hero of the story, that she is one who is, not, who is going to be commended above even those who make a great show because of her charitable giving. And so what, what I see as a danger in this text, an innate danger, is there's a danger of appearance when it comes to giving. There's, a, there's within the, the very structure of that entire system, people often gave for appearance sake. People, when, when they went through their giving, they did it to be seen of men. Does that ever happen in modern-day Christianity that people are motivated to give for the applause of different people? That the appearance and how people would look at them and how people would, would, uh, would uh, view them. And so the whole idea here is saying, beware, be very, very careful not to be one of those individuals that's caught up with giving for impression's sake, nor can we make this comment. Here's an innate danger. Nor should we make assumptions based on appearance of the attitude or the heart of people. What I mean by that is this. In that temple giving, there was the procedure that this would go this way. If you came in to give in those Bible days, you would have to show the priest the coins you were using to give. Why? They needed to be a certain kind. And they had to, just like the lambs, if Charlie here came with a lamb, remember, they had to have in Jewish inspector number so-and-so. And if it didn't fit, they would have him go and buy one of their approved lambs. They did it with coins as well. So if you're coming to give in this Jewish system, does somebody know what you're giving? They have to know. That Jewish priest has to give approval. What do you think would be the normal response of a Jewish priest seeing these people right here coming to give? And we got Barb, who's going to give two mites. We got Deb, who's giving $2. And we got the Jarbos giving 2000 What would be a natural inclination? Thank you. Okay, what would be the natural inclination... If we're, if, if we're caught up into appearances, who would get the attention? Who would get the, who would get the, you know, the care like, lady, it's over there. Oh, let me show you where this goes. Okay. And so does that still happen today? Do people get caught up with appearances about those that they think may benefit financially a ministry? Can that happen in churches? Did it happen in the book of James, where the wealthy were all of a sudden given the best of seats? So there's an innate danger when we come about, you know, the, the idea of giving that was in this society, and it's, and it's hinted at here. But can I give you a second danger that's very close to it? The appearance, the idea of, okay, making a judgment or seeking to, to be noticed. There is also a danger of anonymity. There's a danger in anonymity. Okay, in the sense that we strive and we want to make sure that our giving is done in an anonymous way. Yes, somebody had to approve the giving that was being done in that temple proper. But as a whole, they would still try to keep some anonymity, but usually the people would draw attention to themselves. 
What is an innate danger that comes with anonymity when we give? That nobody knows what we give. Nobody sees what we give. What is an innate danger, therefore? What's that? Isn't it easy to say, nobody knows, and I can keep it. Nobody has any idea. In this story, clearly depicted, who knows and who monitors and watches what's being given? The Lord. The Lord sees it. And so there's an innate danger with the anonymity that we think nobody knows. But Jesus noticed and Jesus was watching. And not only did he notice, he makes note of it. And he records it in here. Is there other times where you know from Scripture that Jesus watched, not, maybe not physically, but he was cognizant and fully aware of the amounts and the attitude with which people gave and how much they gave? Can you think of any other times in the New Testament where God was fully aware but nobody else was? Ananias and Sapphira, right? That the Lord knew. Not only did he know the amount, he knew their motivation behind it. Uh, there's an interesting passage. I hadn't thought about it, but in just reading through, I'm thinking of preaching in Acts. So my goal is to try to read through Acts at least every week for several weeks. And in Acts chapter 10... What happens there is he's talking about Peter. Go to the house of Cornelius. I never saw this before. Go to the house of Cornelius. He is one who gives, and he talks about how much alms he gives. And God takes note of that. Okay, and again, I'm, I'm totally content with God knowing and us not publishing. We, don't need, we can keep anonymity. But we have to remember that, one, we don't give, nor should we be moved by appearances. Nor should we think anonymity means I can just keep and not give. Jesus monitors and Jesus is pleased when giving is being done. Now, I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure. Okay? But I still think there's some value of continuing this lesson that we go a little bit further and remember, okay, I need to give in a way that pleases the Lord. So I want to remember, not get caught up in appearances, not doing it for show, but remembering that God watches what I give. And how I give. In fact, that leads me to the second thought. We need to repeat how to please the Lord. Repeat how the widow gave that so impressed Christ. The reason I say that is go in verse 41. Jesus sat over against the treasure and he beheld. What's your next word? How. I have how. Literally, and that's in the original. He beheld how the people cast in the money into the treasury. And so he was looking at, and, and, and I don't think it means, okay, he was looking at how they took it and picked it up and put, I think he's noticing the how is the motives and watching the heart attitude. So if we look and say, okay, how did this woman give that, that caught Jesus' attention? If you were going to summarize it and you were going to sit here and say, hey, I'm dealing with a new convert and I want to tell them something about this woman's giving, what would strike you about how she gave? She gave trusting. That's going to be my last of my five points. Thank you. You got us to the end quickly. <laughs> okay. What's that? Willingly. We're going, to come, we're going to stay that as well. Anything else? Okay. She gave with that love, that zeal. Well, let me start, keep on going where I'm going to start. She gave personally. 
That's that, what was my first thought. She gave personally. Okay, by that I mean that she is herself giving. Her concept isn't like, okay, we give, she gave personally. And when she gave, how much does your Bible, do you have footnotes? Do you have something? How much did she give? She gave all. Okay, uh, let me rephrase that because you're more accurate than I was. How much was that all in modern, in, by comparison? Do you have any description of the coins that she gave? Oh, how much? Okay, okay. So if uh, you're, you're, it's, it's two lepta, L-E-P-T-A is the word that's used here. Okay, and that would be just a portion of a day's wage. If by, by let's, let's make it kind of where we're at uh, today. So if she's making, you know, working eight hours a day, getting $10 an hour, the high that people think is that she would have 80 bucks and she may have given $8. That's the high end. Others estimate that it would be less than that where she gave a buck 60 even. Let, let's be frank. After a day's work, all you have is a $5 bill, and you're going to live on that for the day, you're desperate. Yes, no? Okay, in modern day, and you're paying for everything. You're, you're in a desperate case. This woman personally gave in that sense, even though we would say in modern days, how would you classify her financially? Poor? Destitute? Okay. One-third of the money that came out of that treasury was given to help the poor. Is she a candidate? Isn't it interesting? She doesn't have much, but she doesn't use it as an excuse. She is probably going to be a recipient of more than what she gave, but she doesn't use that as an excuse. She was going to personally contribute what she thought she could contribute. So she gave personally. She gave in this sense that you would probably have written this down. I put down she gave something. She gave something. You know, could there be an attitude of people saying, hey, I'm only giving you know, two bucks. It's not even worth giving. Is any amount in the mind of the Lord, does the Lord, does he say and approve any amount even though it's little? He does. He does. Do you remember that First Corinthians passage? It is not according to the man hath or uh, hath not. I'm sorry. It's not according to what a man hath not, but it's according to what a man has. And that's a text of giving. The idea is it's not according to what I don't have, and I wish my income were. What I'm supposed to be giving is proportionate to what I have. And it's not the amount, it's the attitude that Christ is so impressed with. Which leads me to what you, one of you men up front said, voluntarily. There is nobody coercing her. She is going to come. And by the way, when she's coming, she has to pass by the priest and get an approval. And do you think there was any nerves about what did this priest just think of me? She, so she gives voluntarily. She gives, can I make this observation? She gave to God's designated program. The reason I'm saying that is, I don't know about you, but over the last weeks, uh, the commercials for like St. Jude's, you see any, any of their commercials? They are really well done commercials. They pull at your heart, right? Right, absolutely. They, every time I see one, I, I want Deb to give, Okay. <laughs> And, and, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to give, but could it be easily easy for us to get caught up in some of those good things 
and forget the God-designated program. Can I suggest this? The world isn't going to give to missions. The world's not going to give to God's program. God didn't design for us to go and get the world's money. God designed that our first and foremost place of giving is where? The church, his program. Now, remember, the temple is the program at that time, and that temple was designed in, in order to provide teaching, education for the, for the Jews, to support for the priests, and to be an outreach. Do you remember what he had already said? You have made my father's uh, house a den of, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, den of thieves, and he says it should be a house of prayer for the nations. Is what is recorded in one of the synoptics alone. And so we don't have that same outfit. We don't have that temple. But we have a different program, and it's very similar. The money is used to teach. The money is used to support those who would do the teaching. The money is used for missions. And so in that end, and helping the poor as well. And so God's designated program, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, that whole idea is, this is my first and foremost program, institution, contribution should be to the church. And so she gave to what was, at that time, the God-designated program. She gave sacrificially. I don't think I need to talk any further about that, do I? She gave, as I think, Jay, you, you piped it up a little bit ago, she gave all that she had. And so obviously she gave sacrificially. Now, what is really interesting is how they contrast this passage. He has just said, I said earlier, about the leaders, the Pharisees, that they were ripping off the widows. And then he brings a widow into the story. But in that first verse, in verse 41, you have the contrast, the rich people. And I don't see any condemnation. Maybe you read it that way. But I don't see him condemning the people who are giving. He's just making a contrast or a comparison. But he says about how the people cast, that many of the people cast money into the treasury. Many that were rich cast in how much? They, they put in much. There's no condemnation of it. But what makes her story so, so involved? They were giving, as Jesus makes the comment, you know, they cast in much, and, and he makes the comparison. They did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want. And so we would say, okay, they're here describing the rich people's giving. They gave money, that's good. They gave, but they still had a surplus of leftovers. Which, by the way, he's not saying that they had to, to give it all away. But he's making a comparison. Their giving, though, this is sacrificial giving. Their giving did not disrupt their comfort. Do you know how that works? Right? I think most of us know how that works. I think most of us have sacrificed at times, but it really hasn't disrupted our comfort. It didn't mean we had to give stuff up that we're used to. We just said, okay, I'm not, not going to do something more down the road. But this woman's, the commendation that is given is, did she give up her comfort? She doesn't know where tomorrow's coming. She, she, she just went the extreme. And again, I'm not saying that this is what the story is about, that we have to give the way that she gave everything that we have. Again, if you did, you would violate some other principles. 
you know, the difference is we, don't, we kind of make the surmising conclusion. She didn't have kids. She didn't have, she's on her own. It's easier for somebody to give in that situation. But she gave sacrificially. And the issue is her attitude. The amount is somewhat in there. I, there's a few times that I've given, I, I must say, that I've given to the point that I'd be close to where that widow is in disrupting comfort. But that's what she's commended for. That however she, you know, to what degree, and so that leads me to this last thought. And, and the idea you mentioned, I think, with full trust, that leads me to, uh, to the other thought, number three. Remember, if we're going to give the way she gave, remember not only how she did it, not only the dangers, but we can give you a third thought here. Remember, your giving tells a lot about you. Isn't that a terrible way of putting it? But is it true? Isn't that what Jesus said? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay. So does the way we give, does it speak about us? What did it tell you about this woman? Was she obedient? Would we all agree with that? She was going to give even without an excuse. This is what God wants of all of us children. He wants us to give, and I'm not going to find an excuse. I'm going to give. So you marked out, I would think, okay, she's giving obediently. So you look at the way you handle your finances. Do your finances, the way you handle them, do they reflect obedience to Christ? In the fact that you with your finances, you're charitable to the poor. You and your finances, you borrow and you pay back. You and your finances, you do pay your taxes. You and your finances, you are caring for family members. All of that would be entwined with obedience to what you know the Bible says when it comes to finances. I think her attitude is also one of humility. She just gives with a really humble spirit. And again, I'm going to take you back to that, that aspect that I hinted at before. She is coming. She's got to pass by a priest. She's got to show. Now, what, what would you, would any of you be, maybe it's just me and I'm being quirky. If I were in that setting, a very, a, a setting where uh, appearances are huge, honor is huge, and I got to walk past Priest Charlie and show him what little I'm giving, I might... I might not want to walk past him out of embarrassment. So I think, and this is me, I think in her attitude of even showing and getting approval and going, she could care less what you know, Priest Charlie thought. It was all about her and the Lord. And so her attitude of humility, she didn't care what people were thinking. She was going to do what she believed God would have her to do. In fact, her attitude of, of giving in this sense that she was just going to give with humility, Lord, I am totally dependent upon you, which leads me to something else. Her attitude of love. Her attitude of love. Do you remember what Jesus just preached minutes before this? Minutes before this in the debate, he was asked, what is the greatest of the commands? Do you remember what he said? He said, the greatest of the command is these he was asked to give one, and he gave two. They were, love the Lord thy God with all the heart, the soul, the might, everything. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
Is this woman demonstrating an act of love towards God? Is she demonstrating an act of love towards other people when a third of it is going for the alms? Absolutely. So her giving is an act of humility, an act of love, an act of obedience. Would you say it was an act of faith? Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> this, this, is, this is me and you probably. Yeah. We can give all of today's wages. And we, yeah, we could. Let's just give all, of the, all that we have in our pocket which I don't have much. Okay. You, I think you have it all. Uh, <laughs> so we go and we give. But in our culture, do we have backup plans? We do. And in, our cult, and in my case, I've got a really good backup plan. It's you. Because you're going to give me a paycheck in a few days. Right? So I can give today's money, but I already know where... Yeah, I, I'm covered for the week. I'm fine because I'm going to get a check you know, next week, Lord willing. Flora Terry's, if you don't fire me before that. This woman, what does she have for a backup plan? Social Security. Credit cards. Uh, in and of itself, it's her attitude. It's her attitude that so impressed the Lord that she operated by faith when comparing to the world's standards. And I think she operated with one other aspect, and that is, it would tell about her, is the fact that she had a hope. We invest in what we hope in. You know, isn't that what Matthew calls us to? Invest and lay your treasures where they were moth, uh, or moth, uh, yeah, moth and rust doth not corrupt. And so here she is, she's laying out that treasure. And I look and I ask myself as I was reflecting on this today, and already thinking we have sacrificial coming, Sunday coming up in four weeks, and already thinking in my mind, what, am I, what are we going to do and planning for it and things like that. And it's been in my mind the last few days. I'm praying about it and especially praying about how much you give, um, you know, instead of how much I should be giving. And, you know, so in all that, it was like, Wow. When I come to giving for this sacrificial Sunday, what will that say about me to the Lord? Will it say that I am showing a humility, showing a love, showing a faith, showing a hope in the future? Will it be reflected to Christ by attitude and the sense of what I hold back? For me, this was just a lot of food for thought. Just a tremendous, timely challenge, I guess, because we didn't plan it. It comes in the story at this point. And I mentioned to one of the staff, you know, I think I'm going to speak on this tonight. And they said, why don't you wait until Sunday? There'll be more people there. <laughs> I think we still trust the Lord. That we just deal with who's here, trust the Lord, and you and I. In my mind, God had this for you and me. For you and me tonight. Just to think about, okay, how are we reflecting our faith, our confidence, and how are we pleasing the Lord with the way we give? Not others, but the way we give.